22-day period between the two, not between the two fast days, including the two fast days. And we all know that there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So this is a very, very powerful cycle that is from what we call Aleph Atuf. In English, from A to Z. It's a complete cycle of 22 days, and it's bookmarked by two fast days. But what's interesting to note is that from Rosh Hashanah through Simchas Torah is also exactly 22 days. Exactly 22 days. And that's why when we say that the whole year, everything that's going to happen in the year is uh, plays itself out on Rosh Hashanah. But in a certain way, and hopefully as we go through these classes, we'll get into this deeper, but it's not just on Rosh Hashanah. From Rosh Hashanah through Simcha's Torah is one cycle. It's one intrinsic energy that's all unified. And in the second part of today's shiur, we're going we're to see one of the ways that we can see and experience this. So the son of a Rebbe said a beautiful thing. He said, because both of these cycles are 22 days, he gave a, a mashal, a parable. He said, when a person wants to draw a picture, usually they will create the outline of the figure or the landscape, whatever it is. They'll make the outline and then they will color it in. He said, this is what's happening in Av and Tishrei. He says, in Av, we are making the outline and in Tishrei, we're coloring it in. So this goes back to what we said that the word Bereshit is a combination of the letters of Av and Tishrei. And this picture that the Son of Rebbe is talking about is like giving birth to an idea, a concept, an energy, a new level of spirituality, giving birth to ourselves. So here we saw fairly quickly the energy of Rosh Hashanah, uh, especially for for women, because Sarah, Rachel, and Hannah were all remembered for children on Rosh Hashanah. But we have another beautiful remez here, a beautiful hint that if you look at the word shofar, again, if you uh, restructure the letters, it spells shin. Peru. What is Peru? It's the first mitzvah in the Torah. Peru Uravu, to be fruitful and multiply. This is also a hint for birth. So the word shofar is the shin. The shin, if you look at my, my finger, is three-pronged. 
These are the three sounds of the shofar. Tekiah, shvarim, and truah. And it's also in each set, there are sets of three, but three times three. So the shin is giving birth. The shofar is the, the sound of the, we could even call it the, the baby, its first wail. It's, it's, it's a birthing image. So we'll end this part of the class, this uh, paradigm of birth that is encoded in Rosh Hashanah in all the different ways that I tried to point out. And hopefully, uh, I remember for years, uh, Rav Yitzhak Ginsburg, he would give over like a, a two and a half hour class. If anyone's <laughs> learned with Rob Ginsburg, two and a half hours, <laughs> like you could, you could relearn it for like two and a half years, what he gives over. But he would end the class and say, now everyone should meditate on, on, on what we just learned. And I used to do that very, very religiously, because I would take notes. And the whole week, I would meditate, literally meditate on different parts in order to integrate it deeply. So in the last 20 minutes, we went through a, a number of very, very beautiful images, very, very beautiful connections. But to be honest, the only way it really gets into us is if we stop and take the time to really think about it and make our own connections, make our own way of understanding this. So I just want to end with uh, a, a deep connection here is, it's known that we actually have really no teachings that were actually written by the Baal Shem Tov. Everything we know about what the Baal Shem taught is from his students. But we have a letter that he wrote to his brother-in-law where he describes a aliyat neshama, an elevation of soul that he had on Rosh Hashanah. And in this letter, he describes what this experience was. And in this elevation of soul, he recounts how he found himself in the presence of the soul of the Mashiach. And he asked the Mashiach, when is the master coming? Now he used the same language that Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi used in the Gomorrah. In the Gomorrah, it tells the story of Yeshua ben Levi also had a aliyah to neshama, where he was able to communicate with the soul of Mashiach. And he asked him the same question. He said, when is the master coming? So in that story, the, the Mashiach said, Hayom, today. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi was like, today? <laughs> he was like, 
he didn't know what to do with himself. The whole day he's like, he's waiting to hear the shofar, shofar gadol. Nothing happened. So Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi was on a very, very high level. Soon afterwards, he had a visitation from Eliyahu Anabi, Elijah the prophet. And he told him what had happened. And he said, why, why did he tell me Ahyom? He wasn't truthful with me. He didn't come. So Eliyahu Anabi said, you didn't understand. He meant Hayom as part of a pasuk. And we actually, this is the first uh, part of Kabbalat Shabbat, where we say Hayom im tishma'u. Today, he will, uh, Hashem will appear if you listen to his voice. Obviously, the whole generation was not ready to listen to his voice. So the Baal Shem Tov asked the same question, when are you coming? And these are the three most important words in all of Hasidut. The Mashiach said, when the well springs of your waters spread to the farthest reaches, that is when I will come. And that is why it is, it, it's such an important part of Chassidut in general, and Chabad specifically, is to spread the teachings of the inner dimensions of the Torah. Because there is a belief that this is actually part and parcel of what will bring Mashiach. So the reason I'm mentioning this is that one of the teachings from the Baal Shem Tov is that each person has he had two teachings. The teaching that most people are familiar with is that the, the soul is a chalak aloka mema'al mamash, an actual part of God above. The Tanya writes this, and, and it, it's, it's a, a very big part of Hasidic teachings, is that the soul is an actual part of God above. But he had a second teaching, which is less known, and that is that every person has a spark of Mashiach. And when will Mashiach come? When there is a critical mass of individuals who have actualized and developed and manifest their particular spark of Mashiach, when enough individual souls have done this, it will create a critical mass of spiritual energy, which will draw the Mashiach into the world. So this is a very, very important concept. But the reason I'm bringing this is that we're, if we're talking about birth on Rosh Hashanah, and we're tying the month of Av and Tishrei. So again, we have this tradition that Mashiach is born on Tishabav. And we saw that Bereshit is Av Tishrei. And so an image that we can have all through Elo, 
and through all the holidays of Tishra is what I'm giving birth to is my spark of Mashiach. And what does that mean? It means to manifest my full potential. The spark of Mashiach within each person is to realize the, the fact that the soul is an actual part of God above. And to actually manifest that and to live it. That is what we're giving birth to in the ideal, ultimate sense on Rosh Hashanah. And one further image <clears throat> that uh, would be a beautiful image to hold is that on Rosh Hashanah, of course, we have the beautiful custom of Tashlik, of going to a body of flowing water. And if you can't do it on Rosh Hashanah, you actually have until Yom Kippur to do it. And being at a body of water, okay, there's, we could spend quite literally an entire class on the imagery and the symbolism of Tashlich. But here, remember what the Mashiach said to the Baal Shem Tov. He said, When the well springs, well springs are water. When the well springs of your teachings reach the farthest limit. And so therefore, we're tying again this idea of birth, that when we're doing tashlich at a body of water, we can have in mind that just like water flows, and it flows from above to below, so we want to manifest the deepest part of our neshama and bring it into reality, because the, the, the root of the soul is, is rooted above. And actually, depending on the person, uh, a relatively small part of the neshama is actually present in the goof. What makes a great person, what makes a tzaddik, is a person who can bring down and manifest the, 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 the root neshama in this world. Okay, so with this, we're, we're going to end the first part of the class. And now we're gonna to move to the second part. And the second part, what I'm gonna to try to do is I'm gonna take certain actions, <clears throat> certain symbolic actions that we do through the holidays of Rosh Hashanah, excuse me, of, of Tishrei, from Rosh Hashanah through Simchas Torah, and try to show how a number of very, very important concepts in, in Hasidut play themselves out and connect all the holidays together. And again, we're talking, we're going to be talking in somewhat symbolic language, but language itself is symbolic. Letters are symbolic. When we drive on the road, it's all symbols. 
there's green lights, there's red lights, there's an arrow going this way, there's an arrow going this way, and we learn to uh, what the symbols mean. But it's the same thing with language. We, and same thing with actions. We do certain actions that have great symbolic import, which conjures up a whole set of ideas and concepts and collective unconscious. <clears throat> so that's what we're going to be doing. And what we're going to see is we're going to be learning about what I'll call in and out. In Hasidut, this is called panemius and chitzonius. Panemius means internal. Chitzonius means um, external. In other words, let's say when we learn Torah, the Torah can remain in our external consciousness. What we want to do, though, is to bring it into our panemius, into our inner consciousness. So that's like a motion of in and out, in and out. Then there's motions of from above to below. <clears throat> this is called in Chasidut, Hitaruta de la Eila, the Hitaruta de la Tata. Hitaruta de la Eila is the awakening from above, and Hitaruta de la Tata is the awakening from below. In other words, sometimes Shuva is we. We take the first action and we return to Hashem. And sometimes Hashem, in a sense, inspires us from above to below. But this is played out in above to below um, concept. And then we have what's called Ratso Vishov, run and return. This is taken from the vision of Ezekiel, of Yechezkel, what's commonly called Maaseh Merkava, the workings of the chariot, where Ezekiel saw angels running and returning. Now this action of running and returning is like in and out, but this is the core fundamental dynamic of all of creation. Put your hand on your pulse. It's Ratso Vishov. Put your finger by your nose, breathing in and breathing out. Put your hand on your heart. Ratso Vishov. Go to the beach and you see the waves coming in and out. Electricity is ACDC. All of the energy within an atom is a pulsating Ratsovishov. So this is the introduction. And now we're going to take these ideas and we're going to, in a sense, run <laughs> through the holidays and see how these ideas are, are played out. So the first one is we'll start with Rosh Hashanah. And of course, the, the, the most important mitzvah of the day is blowing the shofar. 
Now, to blow the shofar takes two actions. One, we blow in, and then we blow through the shofar. In other words, that is the in and out. We, we gather our forces together, we gather our breath, and then we blow out. And so this symbolizes the whole energy of not just Rosh Hashanah, but the whole cycle from Rosh Chodesh Elul through Simchas Torah is where we are trying to draw into us Hashem. We're trying to draw into us new energy, new inspiration, new commitment. And then we want to then release it into the world. We want to manifest it into the world. That's the in and the out. Now it says a beautiful thing in, in the Zohar when it's explaining the, the creation of mankind. And remember the sixth day, excuse me, Rosh Hashanah is the sixth day of creation, the creation of Adam. And that's the day we're blowing the shofar. And so the, the Zohar says that in relationship to God, it says, He blew into his nostrils, meaning of Adam, the soul of life. And man became a nefesh chaya, a living soul. So the Zohar says that when a person blows into something, in this case the shofar, it comes from the deepest part of their being. So this is what it means that the neshama is a chalak elokah ma'al mamash, an actual part of God, because here it says God blew into the nostrils of Adam. And the Zohar is saying, well, where did he blow from? symbolically, as it were, from the very panemius of the essence of Hashem. He blew into the Adam, and that is the soul. So here we see that blowing shofar is this energy of bringing energy in and then manifesting it out. Now let's go now to Yom Kippur. So if you think of, okay, what action, I'm not talking about what we're doing, meaning we're fasting, we're davening, we're wearing white, <clears throat> but the action that we're doing all day long is we're hitting our heart over and over and over again. Now this symbolically is from the outside in. Whereas Rosh Hashanah, it was from the inside out. We're taking from our depths of our soul and we're blowing out. Yom Kippur 
we reverse this. And we're, and our hand, again, these are symbolic motions, but they pack into them deep concepts. So um, my, my wife always says, when she's hitting her heart, it's like, knock, knock, <laughs> wake up, hello, is anyone in there? <laughs> wake up. <laughs> and that's actually what the Rambam says. Rambam says that the, the, actually the shofar is a wake-up call. So here, again, what I'm trying to give over is it says in the Gemara, simanim aset. Make for yourself signs. Now this is very significant because this is the secret of all the symbolic foods that we eat on the first meal of Rosh Hashanah. What do we do? We take a pomegranate, we take an apple, we take a carrot, we take a bean, we take a fish head, <clears throat> we take a, a dalat, and these are very common foods. But what do we do? We, we attach to them this gr these great symbolic kavanot. But so much of our life, so much of Yiddishkeit is doing the exact same thing, is that our, our, our sages, our, our rabbis, our mystics, our, our prophets, our prophetesses, created for us all these symbolic actions to arouse our heart, like in Yom Kippur, like to arouse our heart. Now let's go to Sukkot. Now what happens in Sukkot is, is putting the whole thing together. So right now, Again, in symbolic terms, we have Rosh Hashanah from in to out, Yom Kippur from out to in. But on Sukkot, we add all of that together and we do from above to below. Because if you remember, for those who were in the class last week, the whole thing is based on shaking to the six directions, in and out. If you remember what we learned, that we shake the lulab. First, we begin with it next to our heart. And then we shake out and we bring it back in. Now here, you could say, which is the chicken and which is the egg? Is it in and out? Or is it really out and in? It's both. It's in, out, out, in. In, out, out, in. So what is this teaching us, though, about sukkahs? And of course, we add above and below. What this is telling us is something maybe obvious to people, but it's not obvious to everyone, is many, many people see El, um, the 30 days of Elul and the 10 days of Tshuva as being one cycle. And then five days later, we have the holiday of Sukkot. Zaman Simchatenu. It's like something else. It's like a different holiday. But that's, if we remember what the Slonimer said, 
There's 22 days from Rosh Hashanah to Simchas Torah. It is one uninterrupted flow. And by all of the Hasidic rabbis, shaking lulav, we mentioned this last week, shaking lulav on, on Sukkot is, is a, a continuation and a deepening of the prayers of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And as we mentioned last week, this, this idea of, it's as if from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, we say to God, you have the whole wide world in your hands. And then on Sukkot, God turns around and says, true, but you have the whole world in your hands. That's the Arba meaning. And so during Sukkot, It's in and out, out and in, above and below. The idea is just to take all of the prayers, all of the hopes, all of the New Year's resolutions, all of the deep longings of our heart, and to now realize that it's in my hands. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur were in shul you know, almost the whole day. And it's all, in a sense, up here. It's all in the intellect. Sukkah is all about building a sukkah, living in a sukkah, and picking up the Arba Minim. And now the time has come. How am I going to manifest all of these dreams and hopes in the world? There's a lot more that we could say about this, but that's the basic idea that Sukkot is a con- not only a continuation, but it's in a sense a deepening of all of Elul, Rosh Hashanah, and Yom Kippur. Now I want to add one other idea here, and that's the idea of circles and lines. Again, we're talking very symbolically, but these symbols help us understand what is the energy we're trying to create here. So what's the connection with circles and lines in specifically Sukkot? So we know that every day of Sukkot, we make one hakafa, one circuit of the shul. And then on Hoshana Rabbah, we make seven circuits, seven hakafot. And then on Simcha's Torah, we do it twice. Once at night and once in the day. So there is this inc- incredible energy of sukkahs with circles of energy around us. Now remember the, the, the meditation we learned last week about about uh, shaking lulav to the six directions. So it's a cube, but it can also be envisioned as a circle. And what is the, what's the symbolism of the line? Well, just look at the lulav. The lulav is this straight line. So, so what does that tell us? What, what can we learn from this? 
So we see in three different instances the connection between circles and lines. And they all, in a sense, have to do with creation. And they all have to do with what we're trying to manifest during these Chagim. So the first one is, and I'm saying this in short, but the cosmology of the Arizal explains that when God wanted to create the world, there was a basic problem because there was nothing but the infinite light of God. So where can you put a finite world in infinite, <laughs> I'll call it space, but there was no space. So the, the Ari explains that God was mitsamsem, mitsimsum. He contracted his infinite being. And what remained was a vacuum, a halal panui. Now, it's given over in Kabbalah that this empty space where finite reality would come into being is pictured as a circle. And then the Ari explains that in this vacuum, God shown a line, a kav, of infinite light into the vacuum, and from that comes all created reality. This is very similar to how modern science explains the Big Bang. And from an infinitely small speck of, they don't even know what to call it, explodes the Big Bang. And from that, all created reality came into being. So this is exactly what the Ari explained 500 years ago. Just different words, different language, but that's exactly what he said. So here you have the circle and the line. We see it again also in the Spirot. We're told in the previous world of Tohu, the Spirot were in a circle. Malchud, it's like an onion. Malchut is in the in middle. Yesod is around Malchut. Hod is around Yesod, all the way up to Keter, the crown. But in this world, in the world of Tikkun, the Svirot are what we commonly see are three lines. Right, left, and middle. And this is considered a, a big tikkun, right, left, and center. And the last one is that there are two aspects of divinity. There are two, two ways that we experience godliness. One is God as being transcendent, meaning beyond time and space, beyond any concept. And this is what's called sovev kol olmin. He surrounds all worlds. Again, the idea of a circle. He surrounds all worlds. And then there's what's called memalei 
call Olmin. He fills all worlds. This is like the line entering into the circle. And from that, all creation comes. In a certain way, without being explicit, we can imagine that this is how uh, being fruitful and multiply occurs as well. Everyone will use their own imagination for this. But the birthing process, how new life comes into being, is the secret of the line entering into the circle. So I know this was a bit abstract, but when you put this all together, we see that sukkahs is the time to integrate in and out, above and below, running and returning. This is a very beautiful thing. What's the bracha that we say when we sit in the sukkah? Asher leshev Ratso Vishov. Sukkot is a time to sit and integrate. It's a time to take transcendence and bring it inside. It's a time to take our insides and manifest it in, in the world. And all of this can be can be thought of while shaking the lulav. That's why it's such a powerful ritual. Shaking the lulav is just, I have, I have no words for how, how, how deep it can be if we allow the time. Many people say the bracha, they shake very quickly, and that's it. But as we discussed last week and now, if we take the time to meditate on all the things we've been talking about, shaking lula becomes just the most potent meditation we can imagine. Okay, now I want to go to Hoshana Rabbah. And this becomes manifest in the rituals of the day. Hoshana Rabbah is the seventh day of Sukkot. As we mentioned already, each day of Sukkot, we... Um, we make one circuit around the, uh, the synagogue. And on Hoshana Rabbah, we do seven circuits. Again, we would need a whole class to discuss Hoshana Rabbah, but I'm just, I just want to mention that Hoshana Rabbah tries to put together all of the Chagim, how? There's a minhag in many, many communities to wear a kittel on Hoshana Rabbah. Not everyone does this, but in many Hasidic uh, communities, they wear a kittel. Now, the kittel reminds us of Yom Kippur. We make the circuits, the hakafot, holding the lulav and etrog. So that, of course, is sukkahs. The davening for Hoshana Rabbah, we do, even though it's, it's, it's just another day of sukkahs, 
but we do psuke de zimra of the chagim. It has a status of, of, of a chag, and there is a, a tradition that is done in most shuls that we use the nusach of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Hoshana Rabbah. In other words, we dive into the nusach of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So it's like putting it all together. And this is, a, again, a beautiful way to realize that all 22 days, now we're at, almost at the end, we're on the 21st day. And so now it's time, we have to put it all together. There's one other minhag that most people don't know, but we learned this from Reb Shlomo because we, we had the great privilege to have Reb Shlomo on the Moshav for two Hoshana Rabbas and two Simchas Torahs. And he, he, he learned this in Babav. This was not his innovation, but he learned it in Babav that at the end of each Hakafa and Hoshana Rabbah, they blow the shofar, which is introducing Rosh Hashanah, the Kittel of Yom Kippur, the davening of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the Lulav and Etrog of Sukkot. It's like all is coming together. And the reason is because we have a tradition that even though we, we believe that Ne'ilah, the last prayer of Yom Kippur, is the sealing, the judgment is sealed, but everyone knows that we have a tradition that's not really sealed until Hoshana Rabbah. And so what happens after the seven hakafot? of Hoshana Rabbah, there's a series of beautiful, beautiful uh, team. But at a certain point, we put down the Arba meaning, and we pick up five Aravot. We pick up five Aravot, and at the very, very end, the last piyut of Hoshana Rabbah is all about Mashiach coming. It is one of the most powerful, beautiful piyutim of any time of the year. And it's so hopeful. And the refrain, Rav Shlomo made up a beautiful nigan. Kol mevaser, mevaser ve'omer. A voice announces, announces and says, kol mevaser, mevaser ve'omer. And then at the very end, we do another very symbolic action. We take the five aravot and we hit them on the ground five times. But if you look at, at if you're looking at my picture right now, the way we do it though is we lift it up very high, like all the way, and we like all the way down to the ground. So this obviously is this idea of, of drawing above to below and like stamping it into our conscience, like we're hitting on the ground. This is the final ceiling. Like, so it's, just, it's very, very powerful. So here again, we have in and out, out and in, up and down, above and below, run and return, and it's all 
coming together. And then we have Simcha's Torah. And Simcha's Torah, we, we do seven hakafot at night, we do seven hakafot in the day, but we know the differences on Hoshana Rabbah, each hakafa is once around the shul. But on Simcha's Torah, if you're dancing, you could be dancing in a circle like a hundred times each hakafa. It's circle after circle after circle after circle. And in a, in a sense, the Torah is the line in the middle. The Torah is, is, is piercing through the Chalala Panui. And of course, when we, then when we read the Torah, we get to the end, and then we just, if you don't have another Sefer Torah, you have to roll the whole Torah all the way back to the beginning. If you have three Sefer Torahs, you don't have to do that. But still, the, the, the idea is you get to the end, and then you have to roll it all the way back to the beginning. Now, I want to end with one last thing, and then we'll open it up to any questions, comments. Is uh, on Simcha's Torah, now remember, in, in Eretz Yisrael, um, Shmini Etzeret and Simcha's Torah are the same day. In Chutzlarts, they're actually separate. First is Shmini Etzeret, and then there's Simcha's Torah. On Shmini Etzeret, we change, here in Eretz Yisrael, we change from Merida Tal to Mashi Varuach or Merida Geshem. So there's amazing Torah, one of my favorite Torahs from the Baal Shem Tov. So right before Musaf, so he would go like this. Anyone who's watching me, um, look at me for a second. He would go like this. Mashivaruach umorid hageshem. Again, Mashivaruach like he was like pushing something away. But everyone interpreted that is according to the words. Like his hand motion is like, let the winds blow. So the rain comes from above to below. So he's bringing down the rain. But the Baal Shem said, no, I, I have a different kavana. And it might sound a little funny at first, but it, 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 it's such a deep concept. If you look at the words, mashiv haruach, ruach is the root of the word ruchnius, of spirituality, ruchniut. And geshem is the root of the word gashmiut, which means physicality or material reality. So he would go like this. Again, if you're watching my hand, enough of this ruchnius, enough. It's time to bring it down into gashmiut. And this, was, this is like the climax of the whole 
cycle from Rosh Chodesh Elo to Simcha's Torah is that we are connecting to Ruchnius. We're connecting to the transcendence. We're connecting to the root of our soul. We're connecting to our, our destiny. We're connecting to God's creative energy. But at the same time, we're trying to bring it in and integrate it and act upon it and manifest it in the world. So that's how the Baal Shem ended the Chagim. He was telling people, okay, we've been davening now for, it's actually 52 days, from Rosh Chodesh Elo to Simchas Torah. It's 52 days. He says, enough of, of this davening. Let's make it real. We have to make it real in the world. So that is a fitting conclusion to all of the Chagim and to this class. So I give everyone a bracha that our prayers should reach the highest, but we should manifest it in the most real way in the real world.